up 2 Peter, and we're going to be talking about some really good stuff. I'm really excited for what we're going to talk about. Uh, but before we get into it, let me just pray first, um, because we are going to be talking about some heavy topics. Peter is going out with a bang, uh, and the final thing that he's going to talk about to the people of his day and to us, it's something we don't often think about. And it's pretty heavy, good and encouraging, but heavy. And so let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit here um, just to teach us. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are Emmanuel. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you abide with us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what you have inspired Peter to write to the disciples of his day, to the believers of his day, and how that has continued to be an encouragement to believers throughout all of history and to us now. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we dive into the final thoughts of what Peter is going to be talking about, God, would you put a weight on what he says? Would you help us to understand the gravity and the importance and the significance of the things that he is encouraging us to consider? And so would you just remove distraction? Would you remove just anything that would be a hindrance from us to receive your word and to apply it and to walk out of here encouraged and, and ready to apply your word? Give us a humble heart, Lord. Give us ears to hear, just as Jesus would pray for people. And so we ask all of this in your mighty name. Amen. So uh, let me start with a question. Have you guys ever considered the significance of a person's last words? Right? So many of us probably have lost someone uh, in our life. And a lot of times, the last thing that they say weighs heavy on us. It's probably the thing that we remember most about them, like something they say before they pass on and they leave this, this earth. And so there is a huge significance in a person's last words. Uh, for example, we have Harriet Tubman. I don't think she needs an introduction. Um, but if you don't know who she is, look her up. Great, fantastic woman, huge activist, and freed a bunch of slaves in her day. Her last words were, swing slow, sweet chariot. Um, if you think about Justin Martyr, if you don't know who Justin Martyr is, Justin Martyr was a second century Christian philosopher, apologist, uh, a really strong guy of the faith in his day. His last words were this, and think about what he says. This is what he says before he dies. I ask nothing more than to suffer for the cause of my Lord Jesus Christ. If I can do this, then I can stand in confidence and quiet before the judgment of my God and Savior, when in accordance with his will, this world passes away. That's profound last words. <laughs> like, he was a great guy. On a personal note, I got my dad, Mario Tremaine Register. Uh, he died of cancer in 2013. His last words were, I do. And this was in response to one of his friends who had been praying for him for a long time, asking him if he would like to receive Jesus before he died. And he said, I do. And those were his last words. So there is a great significance in a person's last words. And this, this book of Second Peter is 
basically Peter's last words to his, his fellow believers and to us before he dies. And so what I want to do before we get into our passage today, we're going to be in chapter 3, I want to go back to chapter 1 to Peter's intention for writing this letter in the first place. Right? He's written two letters, 1 Peter, 2 Peter is the second one. He, he clearly states his intention for writing this letter. And I want us to read it together because it's going to really put weight on when we bookend his letter. And so this is what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to be reading from the CSB version just for this specific, uh, this specific passage. He says, I think it right as long as I am in this bodily tent, he's talking about his, his body, to wake you up with a reminder since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as the Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. So he's referring to John 21 when Jesus is walking with Peter and he's reinstating Peter after Peter had denied him three times. Jesus is walking with him on the shore and he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yes, of course, Lord, I love you. He's like, feed my flock. And he does it three times to reinstate Peter back into fellowship with Jesus and back into his apostleship. And he goes on afterwards to tell Peter that, like, you're going to be handed over. And, like, as a child, you didn't dress yourself. And right now you dress yourself, but there's going to be kind of a time where you will not do any of that stuff. Basically saying, you're going to be killed for your faith. You're going to be martyred. And so this is what he's referring to here. In verse 15, he says, I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things. Everything that we've walked through in First and Second Peter, recall these things at any time after my departure. So these, this, these letters are Peter's last words to his believers, which puts a huge significance and weight on these things. And so, Peter... And our passage today is going to be reminding us of a day that we kind of don't like to think about, but we really need to. And he really wants us to, because it's the last thing he says, and it's like, all right, I'm leaving. I know I'm going to die very soon. If I could leave you with one more thing, this is what I want to leave you with. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be reading 13 verses today. You can stand as we read if you are able, and if you want to, you can sit if you want to. Uh, the scriptures will be on the screen. Um, there's also a Bible in front of you if you want to use a Bible, a physical Bible. <clears throat> so this is what he says. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, 
and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is of a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on the earth will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? Verse 13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You guys can sit. <laughs> I kind of was tempted to see how long you would stand, but I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> so, can we just agree that there's a lot going on in this passage, right? Peter is like, all right, bro, I'm dying. We, I'm, I'm getting it all out on you, to you right now, right? So he's talking about a lot. The first thing that, or the, the last thought that he's really getting at is this theme called the day of the Lord. Right? And in regards to the day of the Lord, he says, first of all, before I get into all the other stuff, you need to know this firsthand. Scoffers will come in the last days. Scoffers. What is that? Why is he, why is he talking about scoffers? Like, what is that? And why is he mentioning that? Right? So in order for us to understand what Peter's intention is in mentioning scoffing and the fact that there are going to be people that are scoffing in the end times, we have to understand two extremes when we talk about eschatology or the study of last things or the study of the end times. Two extremes. One extreme is the eschatologically paranoid. The eschatologically paranoid. This is the person who is so obsessed with the end times, with trying to predict the day, with trying to figure out the signs that kind of indicate when the end times are, we're entering in the end times, or who that antichrist is going to be, you know, I thought it was him, but it's not him, so maybe it's him, maybe it's this political leader, whoever it is, right? We become so obsessed with the end times and with trying to understand all these things that we actually neglect the things that we're, at, we're called to right now. Right? It's like, okay, end times, yes, but you're called to disciple people right now. You're called to live a holy life right now. And so the eschatologically paranoid person is so focused on that that they kind of start to neglect their own personal daily walk with Christ. And then there's another extreme, and this is the extreme that Peter finds it worth mentioning. Right? Those people were definitely around in Peter's day, but these people... These people that he mentions next are actually teaching that Jesus is not coming back. And so these are the eschatological scoffers. These are the people that he says, 
where is the promise of his coming? It's been some years now. I don't see Jesus. I don't see it. Where is he coming? When is he coming, right? These are the people who don't see a need to consider and maybe even mock the truth and reality of the day of judgment, God's coming day of judgment. And these are the people, like if you remember Pastor Sam's sermon last week on false, false teachers, this was one of the false teachings that they were teaching, that, man, it's been so long, Jesus ain't coming back. Jesus is not coming back. Where is he? Things are continuing as they were in the beginning. Things are getting worse. When, when is Jesus coming back? And Peter goes on and he then talks about how a day is like a thousand years with the Lord, right? And so why does he mention these scoffers? Why does he feel a need to mention this, right? Well, I think for us to really understand why he's kind of starting here, we need to understand what the Bible means when it talks about the end times, right? So how many of us know the movie Left Behind, that whole series, right? Okay, there's more than four people that like know that movie or have heard that movie, right? We have this idea of the end times being this like apocalyptic, catastrophic, crazy event that's going to like come in a sudden moment and just boom, we're in the end times now, right? Is that kind of how we've heard it or maybe even thought about it? I know I have, right? That's how it's portrayed in paintings. That's how it's portrayed in music. That's how it's portrayed in movies. Just this big apocalyptic event, which if you go on and read about the tribulation, yes, it gets very, very intense. But the end times specifically, when the Bible is talking about the end times, or maybe you'll uh, hear it said as like the last hour, right, or the end of the age, that time is more considered the time period between the first advent of Christ's coming. So what we're celebrating now during Christmas time, Jesus coming as a baby, right? He lives his life and then he ascends into heaven in Acts chapter one. The time period from that moment to when he comes again is considered the end times, the end of the age, the last hour. Now, question, how long has that been? <laughs> A long time, right? Since the first century. <laughs> so the reason why Peter is mentioning this is because it's been a long time. Because it's been a long time, people are growing doubtful. People are thinking, man, all right, so like people are thinking that in the first century. They're like, bro, Jesus said he was coming back. He's not here. And they're that impatient. It's first century. We're like way past that. So you could imagine that this is very prominent even now. It's been years, millennia, since Jesus said that he was coming again. And so the temptation is to scoff, to uh, say, man, Lord, when are you coming? I don't, I'm feeling kind of discouraged that you're not here. I mean, I'm reading that you're saying you're coming, but I'm not seeing it, you know. And so Peter is saying there's going to be scoffers because we've been in this thing for a long time. And he wants to encourage his people. Like, listen, I know it's a long time, but let's get into kind of what you can do in this time and how you can consider and be motivated by the day of the Lord that is coming, right? So, point of application with the scoffing. How many of you would say that you do not agree that, the, that Christ is coming back? Probably none of you, right? If you're a believer, you probably agree that Jesus is coming back. 
But if we are honest, and I am the first to admit this, and I, as I was preparing, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is like, hey, before you say anything, notice this in yourself, is that we can be intentionally ignorant and live our Christian life as if Jesus is not coming back. Right? We can, we can just get comfortable with Christian motions and church and just doing the Christian thing and not even think that, like, there is going to be a day when Jesus comes again. There's going to be a day where Christ is going to judge what I've done with his salvation, right? He's not going to judge me on my salvation because I'm saved through him, but he is going to judge every work that we do in his name. He is going to judge every word that we've said in his name. And I think for many of us, a lot of times we don't like to think about that because why? It's scary. (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh, like I used to think as a kid that, oh no, like, God is going to put a TV in the gates and show all of my thoughts. And I'm like, bro, you don't want to see that. <laughs> like, that's terrible. Don't show that. Right? So it's scary. Like, we have this, like, oh, my gosh. Like, every word, every thought, every deed will be judged. Yeah. Everything will be judged. Peter says the world is going to be exposed. Everything will come to light. And that's scary. Or maybe for you, Maybe it's not necessarily you're scared. Maybe you're just like pressed with the urgency of now, right? Maybe you're like, dude, I don't have time to think about the eschatological things going on, you know, in the scriptures. I got bills to pay now. I got a family to raise now. I have stuff I have to do. I just don't have time, right? And I think that's where many of us probably find ourselves like, I just get so overwhelmed with the urgent that I almost ignore the priority, right? And so, Peter is trying to encourage us with this. He says, whatever the case is for you, listen, we don't want you on either extreme. We don't want you to be paranoid about the end times, but we also don't want you to be totally ignorant and like just ignore the fact that there is going to be a day. We want to think soberly about the end times, the day of the Lord, and what that is, and why that was like why that should encourage you um, in your Christian walk, and so, in order for us to think soberly about the uh, end times, we have to ask the question: What is it? What is the day of the Lord that He's talking about? We have to understand biblically and correctly what the day of the Lord is, and Scripture mentions it. I, don't, I can't even tell you how many times. Do a word study on it. Go on blueletterbible.com. Type in the day of the Lord and see how many scriptures come up that talk about the day of the Lord. A lot. So let me give you a few passages here as we kind of get a mind, like a, a frame of mind or a framework for kind of what the day of the Lord is, you know, why is it a thing, and, you know, what is this that Peter is talking about? So Joel chapter 2, verse 1. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, and it is near. Ezekiel 30, verse 3, for the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
right? So this is not an exhaustive list, again, of scriptures that talk about the day of the Lord. You can probably go through every Old Testament book and find some indication of the day of the Lord. It is a prominent theme in scripture. Why? Because this is when Jesus is going to make everything right. This is what everything is climaxing to. But what we can deduce from these scriptures that I just read is kind of a framework, an idea of how to think about the day of the Lord. And there are three ways to think about it. The day of the Lord is imminent, it will come suddenly, and it will be a day of judgment and wrath. Right? So it's imminent in the sense that it will absolutely happen. I don't care if it's, you know, it, whether it's in this generation, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's in the next generation or the generation after, it is going to come. And the temptation, when we hear something like that, is to think, well, maybe not in my generation, maybe in the next one, and I don't have to worry, right? That's scoffing. That's scoffing at it. That's the temptation with that. The day of the Lord will come suddenly. This cuts the knees of the, the idea of the paranoia, of the eschatology, eschatology, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying said that word like a trillion times already, right? The paranoid person about the end times and things like that. This, this cuts that idea because we can't find out when it's going to happen. We can't calculate it. We can't put you know, all the signs together and kind of do a math equation and be like, oh, in 2024, like Jesus is coming back, right? We can't do it. He says that it will come like a thief in the night. Do you expect a thief to come in the night? No. We do everything we can to lock our doors. We do everything we can to be safe. But a thief comes when we don't expect it. That's the day of the Lord. It will come when we least expect it. And it will also be a time of judgment and God's wrath. The, we don't like hearing about God's wrath, right? This is a very scary thing. And this is where we get the whole Armageddon, you know, climactic kind of peace, revelation. The outpouring of God's wrath will be on the day of the Lord. This is when he will punish sin and those who have chosen not to dwell in the safety and security of the salvation that is offered through Christ. Right? And so I need to express this very clearly. Like, I don't know where you stand with Jesus. I know a lot of you guys are believers, but maybe some of you guys aren't believers. Or maybe you are, you know, skeptics or you're trying to figure it out or online, whatever the case I got to give a warning here. The day of the Lord is not a good day for the ungodly. It will not be peaches and roses. It will not be, you know, maybe second chance. You know what I mean? Like this will be the outpouring of God's wrath. And if you are not in the security of Jesus and his blood, you will be under the, the condemnation of God's wrath. And that's just the reality. I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher, but... That's what it says. That's what it is. That's why Jesus came in the first place, so that we would not be condemned. Peter says it. The Lord is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Right? And so he's mentioning that. Why? Because the urgency is there. This is going to be a terrifying day for those who do not believe. And so there is time now, we don't sit here and wallow and kind of try to figure out the day. We use the time and the opportunity to preach Jesus, 
to tell people, hey, there is a God who loves you and wants to save you so you don't have to be there on that day, right? And so that's why he's mentioning this. Excuse me. Mentioning this, right? <clears throat> so it's going to be a terrifying day for the ungodly. And I'll get into like why we can, be, we can walk in anticipation as believers for this day, why we don't have to fear this day as believers. But Peter starts off saying like, it, it will be a destruction of the ungodly. It just will be. And so, as believers, why should we consider this day? If it's not a terrifying day for us, should we consider it? I won't be there. <laughs> why do I have to care? Why does this matter? Why is Peter talking about this? Right? It matters big time. It matters huge. Right? So, Peter wants to encourage us with three things on why this should motivate us in our Christian walk right now in Mansfield, Ohio, 2022-2023. Why does this matter? Right? So the first thing that he mentions, he says this in verse 11. He says, what sort of people ought you to be? Right? He's not technically asking the question, expecting an answer. He's kind of asking it rhetorically, assuming that they understand like there are big implications for this, this reality and this truth for your, for your life. What are they, right? So the first thing he says is that our lives should reflect and display holiness, right? What sort of people ought you to be in what? Holiness. What does that mean? So the Greek word for that holiness can better be translated a holy manner of life, a holy way in which you live your life, or a holy lifestyle. Let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean that you are perfect. Okay? This does not mean that you get it right all the time. We're going to mess up. We're human. This does not mean that you uh, are to walk around with a holier-than-thou attitude at all the unbelievers in your life. I'm not going to be on the day. You might be, whatever the case. Like, that's not what this means. What this is talking about, what Peter is getting at is that you intentionally orient everything in your life around submitting to Jesus and the authority of Jesus. Everything. I'm talking like whether you eat or drink, you do it for the glory of God. Right? Everything that we do has a purpose to glorify God and be in submission to Christ, who has all authority in heaven and earth. And so that's what it means to walk or have a holy manner of life. I want everything to be revolved around the holiness of Christ. I want everything in my life, everything I do, whatever job I do, as I raise my family, I want everything to center on Christ. And that produces a holy lifestyle. Does that make sense? Okay. So let me give you a few passages here. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This is what Paul says to the people of Ephesus. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, or the unbelievers, right? In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him 
as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Right? And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul is saying, is like, hey, you came to Jesus, you put off your old self. That was your old manner of life. You are now a new creation in Christ with a new manner of life that, resolve, that revolves around holiness. It's not holiness that's attained through your work, it's holiness that is given to you, but that holiness needs to be stewarded. It doesn't, you just don't naturally live holy, right? God positions you in holiness, and then he gives you his spirit to help you live that holiness out. Does that make sense? Right? So Colossians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 5 and 10, same concept, same author, Paul. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So what is he saying? It's eminent. The wrath of God is coming because of sin. In these, you too once walked, right? When you were living in them. You were once this way. But now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, wrath, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the, after the image of its creator. So again, same, same idea. Put off your old manner of life. You have now been given a new manner of life. Don't walk in the same ways you did in your ignorance walk in the ways that you have learned from Jesus, right? So, the point, the reality of the coming judgment should encourage us to live set-apart lives, different lives, set apart from what? Sin and that which is carnal in us. Set apart from sin, but we are set apart to God. So we, every day, help, you know, we walk our lives out in a manner that separates us more and more from the sin that is in us and closer and closer to Jesus, okay? That's holiness. So, in the same vein, Peter, just in the same breath, he says, okay, holiness, what other people should you be holiness, but also godliness. Now, what is the difference here? What is the difference between holiness and godliness? While holiness speaks to the way we orient our lives around Christ, Godliness speaks to the way we, uh, to our posture in, in doing what holiness requires, but we do it out of reverence for God and devotion to him. So what does that mean? That means that you do not go to church because you have to. That means that you do not read your Bible because you have to or because your pastors tell you to. This means that you do it because you want to be close to Jesus. This means that you are devoted to him, and so because you are devoted to him, you want to walk in holiness. And you pray prayers like, God, give me the strength by your spirit to walk in holiness. That is godliness. This is something that we have to be trained in. 
right? We have to train ourselves to think in a godly manner and to live in a godly manner because it does not come naturally. Everything in us is going to tell you, well, you could watch TV over reading. The Bible will always be there. Oh, you know, you can do this another time. You can spend time with Jesus another time. Jesus will always be there, right? Godliness trains us to, to walk in holiness. So here's some scriptures to help us understand. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irrelevant myths, silly myths, but rather train yourselves to godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for this present life and the next one. This is a fascinating passage, because number one, he says, bodily training is good, but it only has uh, benefits for one place, one life, here. Godliness has benefits for both life, both, both lives here and the next. And so train yourself in godliness. Let that be the priority. Titus 2.11 and 12. This is one of my favorite passages. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What did it say that trains us in godliness? Grace. Grace trains you in godliness. So this means that every time you come to Jesus and you ask for grace, you are training yourself in godliness. This means when you rely on the grace of God over your own strength, you are being trained in godliness. It is teaching you how to yield to Christ and not to yourself. That's huge. So if you are doing that, be encouraged. You are walking in godliness and you are walking in holiness. And the reality of the coming judgment should motivate us to deepen our devotion to Christ. Right? As we are thinking about that day and the reality that that day is going to come soon, it should motivate us to deepen our relationship with Christ. I don't want a shallow relationship with my Savior. Right? You don't want a shallow relationship with your Savior. You want to know him. You want to be able to point out his voice in a very loud world. You need to, right? And the only way that's going to happen is if you deepen your relationship with him. So, Peter mentions holiness. What sort of people ought you to be in holiness and in godliness? One that isn't necessarily mentioned, but is indicated or, uh, you know, kind of given in verse 13 is anticipation is the next one. We are to anticipate and live a life of anticipation for the day of the Lord. This is what he says in verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, a couple, this was maybe before we had the baby, and probably even after, just seeing a bunch of articles about school shootings, Walmart shootings, just all this stuff, right? And it's easy to look at this kind of stuff and read this stuff and to be tempted and pulled into a despair and to think, God, like I literally had the thought, like, God, 
What are you waiting for? This is another shooting. More people died because some lunatic is off killing people, right? And I get angry. <laughs> I get angry about this stuff, and I, like, argue with God in my mind, like, God, where are you? I'm scoffing at his coming. Right? I, am, I am saying and I am doubting or falling into a doubt that, God, are you faithful to bring about your promise of your coming? Because the world is getting really bad and it's getting really, really crazy, right? And so we can look at these things in the news articles or in the articles and whatever the case and be tempted towards despair. And I mentioned earlier that the day of the Lord for the ungodly is a terrible day. You don't want to be found on that day outside of Jesus. But for those of us in Christ, that day is a hopeful day. You know what that day means for the believer? It means that every wrong that has happened in your life, every hurt, every evil act done to you or to your family or to anyone in the world is going to be made right. It means that God is going to come in full glory where there is not going to be speculation of who God is or which God is this. Is this Buddha? Is this, you know what I mean? This is going to be, no, this is the true God of the universe in full glory. This is going to be the day that brings and ushers in your eternity with Christ. This is going to be the day where evil is crushed and sin is no more. And God deals with Satan and demonic influence and sin. This is the day that we hope for. This is the blessed hope that the Bible talks about. When Jesus comes as a rider, like in Revelation 19, riding on a horse, a robe dipped in blood, a two-edged sword out of his mouth to slay sin and to slay the things that have been destroying his creation since the beginning of time. That day is when Jesus is going to be a warrior. He's not going to be a baby. Right? And so we can look forward to that day. And we can think of that day and be encouraged right now in the craziness of the world. Think, okay, God, the day of the Lord is imminent. It will come. It will come. And you will right every wrong. You will wipe every tear away. You will, you will destroy the works of the enemy totally and completely. And as Peter says, righteousness will dwell. God is going to give a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And that's a blessed hope, right? Here's some passages. So you know I'm not making this stuff up, right? Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or even come to mind. Revelation 21, 1 through 2. Then I, John, the apostle, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Daniel Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. If you ever want to know why Jesus was crucified in the Gospels and why the Pharisees hated him so much, do a study on Daniel chapter 7. This is what it says. And I want you to listen to what Daniel sees in this moment. 
Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not ever be destroyed. The day of the Lord should produce an anticipation in our hearts for the coming eternal kingdom of the Son. He is going to usher in a kingdom that does not pass away. It does not rot. It does not get corrupted. It will be ruled by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who judges justly and is through and through good without a hint of corruption in him. That will be a good day. So, holiness, godliness, anticipation. The anticipation fuels the other two. As we anticipate the day of the Lord, it will fuel us to, to deepen our relationship with God, to deepen our relationship with Christ. And as we do that, we will learn to live a holy life that will be set apart from everyone else in our life. And people will look at us and see a very clear difference. Okay, you're, you're obviously not normal, is what they'll say, right? <laughs> you're not normal. What are you doing? <laughs> and it's probably going to lead to some really good conversations where you can probably tell some people about Jesus, right? But it's all fueled by an anticipation for the day of the Lord. This is why Peter is mentioning this and why he finds it worth mentioning with his final breath. Remember the day of the Lord. I need to stir you up to remember this. And so I want to end by reading the final, final words of Peter. The final, final words of Peter, verses 17 and 18. And I want you to feel the weight and the significance of these words based on everything Peter has said in this, pa in this passage and throughout the series, all the sermons we talked about, right? Listen to Peter's words. He says this in chapter 3, 17 through 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's beautiful, right? This is coming from the man who, after he writes this letter, is martyred for Christ. He gives his life. He says, I will not disown Jesus. And so we can be encouraged by him and by his final words. <sighs> All right. This week. <laughs> it's a lot, right? But it's encouraging. This week, let's read Matthew 24. This is a huge chapter on the end times. Very popular. Zechariah 14, huge chapter on the day of the Lord. Revelation 20 and 21, huge chapters on the end of days when Jesus comes again. Read these. Look for the themes that we talked about with the end times, with anticipation. Let it build the anticipation in us. Maybe let it convict you, right? Uh, 
Let's assess our hearts as we read. Right? I had to do a lot of assessing of my heart because I was like, Lord, I'm tired. We just had a baby, and I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm struggling to like think about this right now, and I'm struggling. But he was, didn't fail to remind me, like, listen, have you been living in light of the fact that I'm coming back? It's great you have a baby, but your baby needs you to know that you are living for me, right? So assess your heart. Do you intentionally ignore the coming day of judgment? Ask the Lord to give you a heart of readiness. And maybe a prayer that you can do is, Lord, motivate me to live in light of your coming judgment. Help me to live a holy and godly life, walking in the calling that you've called me to right now. Right now. And so I'm going to pray, and I want you guys to be encouraged when you go out this week. Anticipate the day of the Lord. Don't be afraid of it if you're a believer. That is going to be a glorious and hopeful day where everything is con con consummated and our salvation is brought here and it is in full glory. If you are not a believer, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Your life in eternity depends on it. And so I'm going to pray. Everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.